0: No one that you are a fan of or really admire or aspire to be like, nobody did it in a day. Nobody did it overnight. So it's always about assessing what's the next best step for you and then taking the next best step. Hey there, this is Patrice from patricewashington.com where we chase purpose, not money. Welcome back to another edition of Redefining Wealth. As always, it is my pleasure to have an opportunity to just talk to you more about the truth about wealth. If you're new to our community, here's the deal. We believe that wealth is more than money and material possessions. Everything that we do here is founded upon six pillars, which I call my six pillars of wealth. And it's about being fulfilled in those pillars. If you've never heard them, You definitely, after listening to this episode, want to go back to the premiere episodes of this podcast where I break down each pillar. Really, really good stuff. So I've been a personal finance expert or known as one for about a decade now. And one of the things that have always set me apart is that I've never been one of those people who are like really hung up on coupon cutting. I budget, of course, but not. it's not like an excessive thing for me. When I had to rebuild my life after scraping up change, literally losing a seven-figure business and scraping up change to feed my daughter, like coupon cutting just wasn't enough. Budgeting wasn't enough. There's only so much of that you could do. And my focus was like, look, <laughs> you guys, meaning all the personal finance blogs and books and stuff I was reading, like you guys are super concerned about Outgo, but I'm trying to shift to thinking about income. Like what can I do to earn more money? And so my mindset has always been instead of several hours on a Sunday cutting coupons, and I'm not knocking folks who cut coupons. If that's your jam, get to it. Like, (laughs) don't let me stop you. But with those same several hours, I've always felt like I could create a way to make another $500 instead of trying to save $50 on groceries, You know, like that's just kind of always been my perspective. And so uh, in my books, in my work, I've always had a section. I will probably always have something that has to do with earning more in the work pillar and the money pillar. I talk about it quite a bit. And back in March, I had a birthday episode where you, my audience, you guys were able to send in your questions. You know, we ended up with like 80 or 90 questions. You really didn't disappoint. I thought I was going to be left hanging. (laughs) But I got like 80, 90 questions and several of them had to do with business in a sense. And so because I could only do so many uh, questions and I I chose personal questions for my birthday episode, I wanted to do this one that will really go through earning more because that just means so much to me. And I love that you guys are asking me your questions about business in general. And so... That's what we're doing today. Again, if you're new, this is a special type of episode, a little different for us, but make sure you subscribe, check out some of the back catalog, phenomenal, phenomenal interviews. And I'm not just saying that totally life shifting, life altering, mind blowing interviews with some of the most amazing people. But this one's all me. <laughs> well, it's me and you guys. I'm answering your questions about how to earn more. So without further ado, let's jump in. I'm going to do as many as I can. Now, this first question I wanted to take from Joanne because it wasn't the traditional question you would think about when you think about earning more. And for me, it just brought up a really great point. in the earn more money movement which I did last month in honor of Equal Pay Day. The last pillar in the earn more money movement, there's five there, is maximize your money maker. And it's all about understanding that once you are earning more, you have to make sure you are using it wisely. You're using that additional money wisely. We're not trying to have you make more and then have nothing to show for it. That's not the goal. And so, It's not a traditional business question, but it is a question about earning more. Check out what Joanne from Atlanta asks. Hi, Patrice. How would a person determine the stage at which it is wise to begin to work with a professional money manager? And what goals or deliverables should I be considering to know that that investment or working with a professional is worthwhile? You know what, Joanne? I think it's a great question. And like I said, it definitely speaks to earning more because having the right professional advice is going to help you get there. I really believe, though, that having a money manager or financial advisor or someone on your team is not something that you have to wait to do until you hit a certain level. In my opinion, it's not a rich people thing. It's just a a people thing. Any person who has long-term financial goals, you need support. And I would really suggest going back and listening to my interview with Dr. Daniel Crosby. Not only is he a financial psychologist, he's also a financial advisor who has a financial advisor. So just because you know what to do, just because you've done pretty well on your own, as we talked about in that interview, I think it's really having someone who can hold our hand um, keep us from making emotional decisions with our money, because sometimes we don't see things performing the way we want in the first 60 or 90 days. And we jump in and we jump out. And in that episode, he talks about the best thing that you can do is nothing, number one. But number two, having a professional on your team will help protect you from your own craziness. <laughs> It'll help protect you from your own craziness. And so even for myself it was 2010 when i was barely getting by quite frankly after losing everything in the recession and starting over that i met my current financial advisor and so when we first sat down i was felt ashamed and embarrassed and i was you know telling her about all these things that i wish i had and i used to invest and i used to do this and i used to do that and she's like whoa whoa no judgment i just want to help you reach your goals and for the last 8 years we talk every quarter and she has worked with my husband and I as we've moved across the country or bought or sold property or shifted our goals to you know, long-term care insurance for our parents or different things for my daughter. She's been there every step of the way. And I think what's most important is having someone to talk to, having someone to share your goals with who can introduce you to different products and different things you can do. Because at the end of the day, that's not your full-time job and you don't know what you don't know. And you don't have to wait until you hit a certain income bracket to do that. I really didn't have much when I started working with her and she's seen us grow and grow over the years. But I think a part of our growth was in part because we understood that we needed to have a professional on our team. We couldn't wait until we were earning $100,000 again or 200 or 300 or a million. We had to just start where we were. And so I would say, if you're considering it, just start. And look for someone who you can actually build a personal rapport with because they're going to be all up and through your business. And that's the type of person that you want um, to be on your team, where you trust them enough to know the intimate details about what you and your family are doing. Now, the biggest thing about my financial advisor and several of the people that we have on our team, my husband and I, is that they're not people who necessarily live in my neighborhood. And so sometimes I think, too, you have to be willing, especially in just how the world works today, be willing to get outside uh, your comfort zone a little bit, get outside the box, and have people on your team that can also help you virtually. Because sometimes the best people are just not in your backyard. It just is what it is. But that doesn't mean that you shouldn't utilize a particular service. And so that's why I love this next question from Benitra. Benitra. Hi, Patrice. This is Benitra,
1: and I'm calling to ask what advice you would give on having virtual mentors. If you're in a position where right now you may not have a mentor that is physically in your area, but you want to utilize those that you may see on social media or on the Internet, what advice would you give for that?
0: So, Benitra, yes, I love the idea of virtual mentors. I have had many, paid and unpaid. (laughs) I always tell people that you can't depend on a mentor to be someone that you get to talk to every day. I mean, that would be great. That's nice. But for many of us, it's just not feasible. It's not realistic. And so I've had many mentors from afar, people that I've gotten an opportunity to watch from a distance and study them. And I read their books and look at their interviews and listen to their podcasts if that's an opportunity or attend their events when I can. There's so many ways to learn from people who are not necessarily in your backyard. But if you're talking about paid mentorship, as in coaches in particular, then yes, I also do believe in, in that route as well. I mean, I serve as a virtual mentor, as a paid coach uh, to many people. I've coached folks all the way to Australia and London and all over the US and we do it virtually and it's it's totally fine. Um, Benitra, I know I coached you at one point and that was in person in Atlanta, but I coach people um, virtually as well. And so here's some stuff I would say to look for though, because I also hear from plenty of clients or just uh, folks who follow me who have been burned by coaches. And I would say it's easy to fall in love with people on the internet. It's easy to look at the flash and the fame that they create in their own bubble, on their own pages, on the internet. But don't be distracted. Don't be distracted, especially by the material stuff. I see way too many people hiring coaches because they're moved by their material possessions. And this is not to talk mess about anyone else, but I can speak for myself. I am very leery of people who say they are coaches and all they do is show you their coach bag, or they show you their Chanel bag, or they want to show you the car they're in or the hotel they're in. I personally, and maybe I should do a better job, I, I don't flash what I have because I think that it doesn't matter. <laughs> to be honest, like if you are only following me because you know what type of car I drive, then that's such a shallow reason. I would rather you unfollow As a matter of fact, block me so you never have to see me again. I'm not moved by the material possessions of others because I feel like if that's how you live, it's just how you live. It just is. So I can tell you, quite frankly, I've only flown first class for like the last five years, but I never post my first class ticket on Instagram. For what? This just is what it is. And so I'm always leery of people who feel the need to do that. So I would say just ask better questions. Ask very specific questions when you're looking to hire someone and make sure that they have the results that you actually want. If all you want is a Chanel bag, I mean, you can buy that on consignment. You can rent one and send it back. There's a lot of ways that some of these people online are getting these things. There's people who even rent a jet for 15 minutes just to get a bunch of pictures. That's actually a real business. It's a real thing where they just get on, take pictures and get right back off, 15 minutes in and out. And so, you know, look for the proof in the people, look for the proof in the results of what their clients have received. It's one thing to do something for yourself. It's a totally different beast to see other people be able to get results in what they're doing. And so ask for referrals, ask for a few past clients that they can reach out to that you can reach out to, excuse me, and um, learn more about what their style was like and what their process was like. But I would say the biggest thing if you're finding people online is not to be moved by material possessions. There's so many fake ways of getting stuff and there's so much fake stuff that looks real (laughs) online. So you can't be moved by that. But that was a great question, Benitra. And it actually takes me to a few areas where you guys may be looking for coaches. Several of you asked really great questions about different areas of business that I actually have a little expertise in. So let's get to those. This is Z, aka Zabrina from
1: Toronto, Canada. A friend and I want to create our own podcast about wealth and health pertaining to the Black communities in Canada. But we've been procrastinating for over a year and have finally set a time to get things started, but have a few things to iron out. So question one, is it worth renting a space, equipment to do the podcast if we don't have any equipment of our own or a space to conduct the podcast? If your suggestion is getting our own equipment, is there any brands you would recommend? Two, do we need a website seeing as this is not going to be part of a business, but mainly a passion purpose both of us have in serving our community? Three, would someone like Vernon Ross be helpful to us or is his service more suited to people who have the podcast as part of their business? Four, is it okay to reference some of the great pointers from your podcast, giving you full credit, of course, for any references we may use? Once established, would you be a guest on our podcast? Sorry, I had to ask. Thank you so much for this. Take care, bye.
0: Z, I am not mad at you for trying to squeeze in a million questions. (laughs) To a 90 second audio And because podcasting is my jam right now I'm super excited for you and your girlfriend All the way in Toronto, Canada So here's the deal With the podcasting equipment The most important thing is the quality Right? You just really need to have great quality I used a different mic one time And someone reviewed about how I sounded like I was in a toilet (laughs) So you just want to make sure that you have good quality. When I was doing national radio, someone created a little kit for me so that I could do it from home. And so I use the same stuff. Can't tell you how it was put together. Have no idea. I'm going to keep it real with you. But I'm in a group on Facebook called Podcast Movement. It's the conference that I went to last year when I was first starting the podcast. And so That group on Facebook has so many people who have a lot of thoughts around it. I would actually prefer to kind of defer to them. And I don't think it's about that you're doing it for a business. I think if you just wanna do it right the first time around, because remember, there's always someone watching you who has the power to bless you. The people who have stumbled upon this podcast have been so instrumental in me getting more and more opportunities outside of the podcast world. And so just because it's a hobby, don't take it for granted that someone's watching, someone's listening. And that means, in my opinion, too, you should have a at least a one-page website, a simple website that talks about the podcast that might have some sample episodes if you can't get it to keep all your episodes or upload all your episodes there. But you want to kind of have a home base so that people have an understanding of what the podcast is, how it came about, who you two are as the hosts, even if it's a hobby, you never know. You can still probably get sponsors down the line and turn it into so much outside of that. So don't take it for granted. My husband has this saying about not thinking like an entrepreneur, think like an empire builder. So even though it's a hobby, for you. Still think about it as an opportunity to build your own empire later. And this is just the foundation. So think of it as such. And so you also mentioned Vernon Ross, who, yes, held my hand through the entire process. Honestly, without Vernon, I would not have been able to pull the podcast together in less than three weeks. Never would have made it. (laughs) He really asked me the tough questions. So I said yes to doing the podcast in partnership with iHeart at the time. And I didn't really know what I was saying yes to, you know, I knew I had the equipment from doing radio, but I didn't have a format or an idea. Of course, I've listened to podcasts, but there were just things that I took for granted. And so it was in flushing it out with Vernon and this questionnaire that he took me through that I realized I didn't want to have, for example, an all interview style podcast because I have a lot of opinions of my own. And the bigger picture for me was to really establish myself as a thought leader And so to do that, I didn't want to necessarily be the person who just curated content. I wanted to create my own content. I didn't want to just look for guests every week and feel the pressure of having any old guest on, which I think happens on a lot of podcasts because you're looking for a constant topic or theme or you're always trying to fill it with people. And I'm very intentional. I actually have been saying no lately to a lot of people who want to be on the podcast I'm like, no, on the weeks when I don't have a guest, Vernon really helped me see that I could carry the podcast on my own with solo episodes. And so that was something that having a coach really brought out for me. Now I've been a coach to many people, but When you don't know what you don't know, (laughs) you just don't know. And so I needed to have that discussion with someone who had been working with several people, if not dozens at this point, to help start their podcast. He's worked with a lot of businesses to help them start. He walked me through format and structure. And there was even a point, you guys, honestly, there was going to be a random male voice introducing the podcast. (laughs) There was. And having Vernon's help, he was like, uh, you don't need that. Like, you can literally just be you. And sometimes you need that virtual mentor, that person you can get on a Skype with who will walk you through because, yeah, I was getting ready to sound all kinds of crazy. And so I really give a lot of credit. Seriously, you guys, I give a lot of credit to Vernon um, for helping me really nail down the vision in such a short time. I know that at Podcast Movement, I met many people who said they took six months to put together their podcast. And I think if they would have had a Vernon Ross on their team, they probably could have got it done in six weeks. Now I'm extreme and got it done in three weeks, but I'm a special case, I know. (laughs) But to me, Vernon was a secret sauce. He really was. And then the Podcast Movement Facebook group is also another layer of secret sauce where I even learned to use uh, SpeakPipe, which is the service that you guys sent the voicemail messages on. That was a question I asked there. And within minutes, I had several people give me suggestions. So those are two resources that really, really have been a blessing to me. And I hope it helps you too, Z. Good luck. And yes, I will be a guest, but you got to put the work in and get some other guests first. (laughs) All right. Now, moving on from podcasting to another one of my favorite things, I think a part of what has really created the foundation for this Money Maven brand that I've built is being a self-published author. So here's Lakeisha's question. Hey
1: Patrice, it's Lakeisha Wooder, founder of A Sister's Truth. If memory serves me correctly, I believe your first book was self-published and you had sold about 18,000 copies before HarperCollins approached you to re-release it. Hopefully my facts are straight. And if so, can you give us self-published authors out here tips and tricks on how to sell our books?
0: Thank you. So Lakeisha, you know I love talking about self-published books. This is how I started out. You're absolutely right with the facts that you shared. Started out self-published with Real Money Answers for College Life and Beyond, and then I did Real Money Answers for Every Woman, and then Real Money Answers for Men. And all of those books were self-published until HarperCollins came along and wanted to traditionally publish an updated version of Real Money Answers for Every Woman. And so if you've already written a book and you find yourself being one of these authors who might have a thousand books in the basement... (laughs) or in the garage and you were trying to figure out how the heck am I going to get rid of these books. I think a powerful lesson to take away from Harper Collins is that you know, we put a fresh cover on the same content and rewrote the introduction. And so if you didn't do first of all just because you know the book has been sitting there for a while, don't think that oh it's old, I can't do anything with it. So either come up with a new marketing plan or if you don't have a lot of books kind of on hand, then put a fresh cover on it and re-release it with a new marketing plan. And one of the things that I did really well was enlist the help of others. I created a book launch team well before I think creating book launch teams was a thing. I've even hit some of my friends who have huge platforms on building a book launch team. And that was really going to podcasters, bloggers, any type of media folks, anyone who had a great following where I thought that my book would fit in with their audience. And asking them to review it, asking them to check it out, giving them physical copies. Sometimes people ask you to be a part of the book launch and they give you a digital copy. And I don't know, me personally, I'm just not as inclined to read books digitally. I'm old school, so I like to highlight and underline and dog ear. And so giving physical copies, I think, goes over even better because people will be taking pictures, candid pictures while they're reading or doing different things. And so... I would really say reach out to people and offer to give them the book if you know that they have your ideal audience. Printing one book and sending it out is nothing if they're going to move their audience to buy 25 or 50 or 100. And I think sometimes we get, this is where we want to be cheap. And this is not spending money. This is an investment in the bigger picture. So I invested in giving away about 75 books to help launch Real Money Answers for Every Woman. And when I do my next book, I'll probably send out 150 or 250 and magnify the effort. So I have so much to say about this. (laughs) But I would say if there's a cause or a theme in the year or something that aligns with your book, kind of doing a mini launch again with it and tying in other people to be a part of that movement that you're creating, that's definitely one idea Um, And I would say also being willing to speak any and everywhere that aligns with your audience. I think sometimes once people write a book, you know, it is a lot of work and I get it, but that's just the beginning. Like that's when the real work starts. The work is not in writing the book. The work is in marketing the book. And you can't think of yourself as just an author. You have to think of yourself as a marketer. And so even if you've been paid to speak, Lakeisha, I would say that doesn't matter all the time. I know, especially when I was ramping up, I was speaking at places for well less than my established speaker fee because that wasn't the point. The point for me was to get people in the back of the room standing in line to literally buy hundreds of copies of books. And so you really have to identify what matters more. That's taking speaking gigs that were less than what I was used to and not having any ego about it is what led to HarperCollins seeing pictures of hundreds and hundreds of women with these books all over the country. And so that's what got me to almost 20,000 books sold was because I was willing to kind of humble myself on the speaking circuit and just get it done. And in the long run, that was even better because now the book is translated internationally. And so you always got to look at what the end goal is and kind of work backwards. But I would say... Come up with a mini launch plan. Don't think that you can only have a launch when the book comes out and be willing to invest in getting the book in the right hands and asking them for a review in return or a picture in social media in return or whatever it is you need. And um, speak, speak as much as you can. No one can sell the principles from your book better than you can, or no one can tell the story better than you can. Not even a publicist, quite frankly. Oh, and I would say if you hire a publicist and you get any type of media, I think this is what authors forget about. You need some media coaching just because you can talk about your book. It's one thing to do that one on one or in a small group or even from the stage. And it's another thing to do it on camera because some of us just go on and on and on but we're not really talking in digestible sound bites that the audience can run with and something that'll stop them in their tracks and make them say, I must purchase this right now. And so media training was a big help for me as well. Those are a few things that you can definitely do. So next question is also about something that I have really used to build my platform and something I'm super passionate about. Here's Tracy.
1: Hi, Patrice. I wanted to ask if someone wanted to do speaking or get into speaking or motivational speaking, what routes can I take?
0: Tracy, I get this question all the time, more than you can probably ever imagine. And I always tell people the way that you get into speaking, listen closely, the way that you get into speaking is literally by speaking. (laughs) I really believe it's by creating opportunities to speak. So when you're getting into speaking, it's very rare that folks will just ask you to come and speak if you don't have a background in that or if you haven't intentionally been promoting yourself as such. And one of the things that I did, and I really believe it still holds true, is to Be able to tell the story about what I want to speak about, what I bring to the table, what the outcomes are for the audience and going to literally create opportunities. I probably spoke for about a year and a half for absolutely free. Absolutely free. And to me, it was about testing out the material and really learning my own voice, learning if I could use humor because that wasn't really common in personal finance when I was getting started. I didn't see it. I didn't have an example of it, but I knew that was my personality. And it's funny, if you don't know me or you haven't seen me speak in person, you may still not even realize that, but I use a lot of humor when I'm speaking. And it took a while to get comfortable doing that, no matter who the audience was, just being true to myself. So I would go to nonprofit organizations or even the local library in downtown LA. Or I went to churches when I lived in New Orleans and said, "This is who I am. This is what I can do, and I would love the opportunity." I created a one sheet about uh, with a picture of myself, a brief bio, and the subject matter and what the takeaways would be for the audience. And I just started pitching myself. And I remember doing speaking events in the middle of the day in the library with like four or five people and taking pictures, using that to get pictures and uh, little snippets of video and even asking the two or three people that were there if they would give me a testimonial on camera because I needed the social proof, right? And that's what I would share with the next person and then the next person. So I did very small events in churches, in libraries, any local things where I heard something going on, I would just pitch myself and not make it so much about what my speaking background was as much as it was about my passion and what my professional skill set was. And then I just did it over and over and over again. And I know there's so many people out there that are like, I can teach you to be a six figure speaker in three days. Like if they can, God bless them. People who come to me for coaching, I'm always like, I'm not guaranteeing you that I can turn you into a six figure anything overnight, but I can show you Step by step, what I did. And I'm not saying that you can't skip some of my steps and, you know, totally go to the next level and rock it out. But I know for the people that I have worked with and for myself, it's been, first of all, getting comfortable. Because what you don't want is that call to speak in front of 2,000 people and you're unsure of your message. You're unsure of yourself. You don't really feel comfortable with your voice yet. I believe that if you want to start speaking for pay, just start speaking. Just start speaking for purpose and passion and perfect the gift. If you believe you're a natural speaker, perfect the gift in front of you so that when you get that big break, you are ready beyond a shadow of a doubt. Hello, Patrice. This is Gwendolyn. My question for you is how did you
1: manage to scale your business to a higher level so that you could serve? your customers and your tribe more fully. So I'm at a place after our session
0: together, um, you know, a couple of years ago where my business has actually grown. And so I have three contractors now working with me in my
1: business to scale it to the next level. And I'd love to hear what were some of the strategies that you put into place Around the pillars
0: that you teach, and what's one thing of wisdom that you could give me that I could kind of hold on to and use through this process? Gwendolyn, you know what? This was such a great question. It was so great that you almost were not selected. (laughs) And that's really because I struggle in this area. I really don't feel that I've mastered scaling my business per se. I think that I've definitely shifted things and it's going in that direction. And so here's what I mean. Like I was beating myself up for a while because I wanted to serve my clients more fully, but I was confusing my clients with my audience. And so when I stopped posting as much or doing as many Facebook lives and let's say my Facebook group, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm not doing this. I'm not doing that. But then it was like, wait a minute, that's a free group. And there's only one of me. And so I had to really shift my attention and my focus to really serving my clients. And that was a defining moment for me, like understanding that the people who are actually investing and working with me, I have to be present. I need to maintain a presence audience wise, but I must be present for my clients. And so making that distinction really helped me prioritize and it helped me get really clear about my nose. So I would say another thing that's been helpful in scaling a bit is knowing what to say no to so that I have the capacity to withstand the things that are worthy of a yes. I needed the capacity to withstand the things that were worthy of a yes, that were worthy of my time, of my physical presence, of my mental (laughs) presence. And so I think for any business owner, when you look at what's in front of you, you realize that a lot of things that are nice to do are not productive. It's a lot of busy work, not necessarily productive work. And so being able to take a step back and look at that really helped me focus in on serving more fully. And then as a result of that, getting better results and eventually charging a bit more as I went on. And so that is definitely one way. So I would say another thing, that was helpful for me. And I think we talked about this during your session, Gwendolyn, but is doing an organizational chart and really looking at all of the different hats that I wear in my business. So when I first started, I was everything. I was CEO, I was content creator, janitor, (laughs) chief marketing officer, like every title that could be worn, I wore. And over the years, what's helped is Keeping the vision in front of me that eventually, after three months, after six months, after nine months, I have to start to scratch my name out of all these boxes on the organizational chart and fill in the names of people who were more capable and competent. You know, I'm good at a lot, but I'm not great at everything by any means. And so, having someone that would come in and do the negotiations for my brand partnerships or for my speaking engagements or for client relation services or whatever I needed. I just slowly started to take myself out and put them in. And I would say if there was any bit of wisdom you could take from all of this, it's really surrendering. It's really going back to that episode on being selective about your surrender. I used to be one of those people who thought that no one else could do it the way that I do it. And while I like to have a personal touch On most of the things that I do, the reality is someone else's 80% is enough to get the job done. And keep in mind that progress beats perfection. And so sometimes what keeps us from being able to grow is that the perfectionist in us wants to micromanage everything. And when you start to surrender and take your name out of those boxes and insert other names It just seems to go so much better. And in the process, making sure that you create systems, policies and procedures, training videos, whatever you need to make sure that as those names change over time, you don't have to waste a lot of time saying the same stuff over and over again. You document yourself doing it and then you train someone else and then allow them to use that so that they can continue to work just as efficiently as you would for yourself. So I hope that helps. Okay, so I wanted to end the podcast with this brilliant question from Anne. And even though I don't think she meant it in the sense of earning more money or like a business thing, I think that every entrepreneur needs to hear this question and really process the answer I'll give on the other side. Take a listen. Hi, Patrice. This is Ann from Illinois. My question for you today is how do you understand the term and really how do you in your life, how do you incorporate, how do you practice that? Thank you very much. And again, thank you so much for that question. I think it's brilliant. And I think that in a time where we are so encouraged to make it happen, and go and go and go until it happens and just always be striving for excellence and success and all this stuff. I think that this question regarding self-compassion is so important because I don't know about you guys, but when I talk to my girlfriends, we talk a lot about meeting deadlines and I need to get this in or I need to do this. And most of us are small business owners, entrepreneurs, Freelancers, you know people who kind of have some flexibility in their schedule We kind of set a lot of our due dates or deadlines or have to agree to them And it really cracks me up and i'm talking about cracks me up that I do this too where i'll have this self-imposed deadline and then i'll be Really getting on myself If it's getting close to the time and so many other things have come up, especially in my personal life and so for me self-compassion means really just learning to show myself grace. Like, yes, I'm passionate. Yes, I feel purpose-filled. Yes, I love everything that I do, but I also get tired. I also get weary. I also some days just don't feel like it. That's the truth. Some days it's just not the day to record or to write or to do whatever it is that I said I was doing. And so for me, self-compassion has looked like knowing when my grace has run out, knowing when I have nothing else to give the day except for possibly spending time with my family or working out because that is a stress reliever for me or going to sleep and getting out of everyone's way with my funky attitude. (laughs) You know, that's real talk. Like sometimes you just need to know when to stop and many of us just have these self-imposed things that we put on ourselves and we are stressing ourselves out unnecessarily and so again self-compassion for me means recognizing my weaknesses and my flaws or when things just are not going the way that i planned and being flexible enough to surrender to the circumstances that are going on and and knowing that tomorrow's a new day tomorrow's a new opportunity and I'm still on track because I'm not hitting my deadline. And I mean, I always impose some serious deadlines. I'm telling you, I did the podcast in three weeks. So let's say that that was a couple of days off schedule, understanding that time is on my side and the things that need to be done will definitely be done. But the point is that I'm making progress, that I'm not procrastinating on my vision by any means. But some days you win, some days you you don't win. It just is what it is. And how I practice this in my daily life is just listening for the clues, listening for when I shift from being super excited to being um, really negative to myself. I always think of the compassion that I have for my daughter or for my husband or for my girlfriends or even for you guys, where if you said, oh, I'm really bummed, I missed a deadline or it's getting close and I don't feel ready and I don't feel this, I would literally you know, talk you up to the sun and back. Like I would have you feeling so good and shining, but why wouldn't I do that for myself? And I try to remember that if something is true for you, God is no respecter of persons. It's true for me. If you have time on your side, so do I. And that's not an excuse to procrastinate forever, but it is one way that you can just show yourself grace. Accept that your plans are not always the best plans. And a lot of our plans come from the thin blue sky. But if you need to be flexible and switch a date, move something back a day or a week, the world will not end. That just is what it is. The world will not end. Everyone will live. You will live. People will understand. I find a lot of times that people understand if you just tell the truth too. All the elaborate excuses about your dog died and your baby's sick and your husband. You don't have to do that. Sometimes you can let people know. As I had to with a coaching client recently, a tree fell on my husband's car in the driveway. And by the time I got on this call, I was all frazzled. And I just said, look, a tree fell on the car. Like... (laughs) I've been dealing with insurance stuff for the last hour. And you know what they said? Oh, my gosh, a tree fell in our backyard like last week. You know, so just self-compassion is knowing that you can tell the truth and everything will be okay. You can just accept what is going on in that moment. Embrace whatever the resistance is, because, you know, if you don't embrace it, it will persist. And be flexible with yourself and show yourself grace. And I hope that helps, Anne, and I hope that helps everyone listening. If you're looking into getting into speaking or podcasting or, I mean, book writing or any of the things that we've talked about, like these are all tools that I believe we can use to earn more. And it doesn't matter if you want to be a full-time entrepreneur or if you want to turn any of these things into a side business or just supplement your income because you know that you are brilliant and you know that you have more to offer out there, I just want you to know that you can do it. So much of what I've done has been so organic. It really has been. And I know that we live in a world where everything is so gimmicky. (laughs) There's so many tricks and so many gimmicks to how people offer their services, but I just want to always live as an example of someone who really, like. I don't say this to just say it, like. This All of this has been about chasing purpose. From starting the podcast to self-publishing books to speaking, it's been this burning desire. And I just followed through with it. And I think that anything that you do consistently and as close to excellence as you can create, it will have legs. It will get life. People will feel the purpose and passion behind it. It's not about chasing money, but you can earn more. You can't earn more without feeling like you have to go out and chase it and do all the gimmicks and tricks. And I know that there's so much stuff out there, you know, maybe I should try to master more, but I'm telling you, you can create a great life, a fulfilling life just by really understanding your gifts like we uncovered in the earn more money movement and then looking for ways to monetize it that speak to you. Everyone shouldn't be a speaker Everyone shouldn't be a podcaster. Everyone shouldn't be an author. You all do need a money manager. (laughs) Financial advisor or someone to help you navigate that. So as Dr. Crosby says, you can protect yourself from your own crazy. I believe in virtual mentors. I believe in doing what you can to scale. But at the end of the day, I also believe in self-compassion and showing yourself grace through the process. No one that you are a fan of or really in admire or aspire to be like nobody did it in a day nobody did it overnight so it's always about assessing what's the next best step for you and then taking the next best step i'm really excited to get back to our normal episodes Next week, I have a lot of great stuff coming up for you. A lot of great conversations, things that have really helped me to earn more money without chasing, but also um, just to really improve my own self-worth over time as well. We're gonna be having a lot of great conversations throughout the month of May. So stay tuned. I'm super excited. Feel free to rate and review and share this episode if you think it's something that'll help Someone you know out there in particular, someone who wants to earn more money using their gifts and they're thinking about different ways to do that, make sure you share. And shout out to all of the ladies that submitted questions. I appreciate you so much for participating and many of you sent in questions. I thank you so much. We'll have to do this again sometime in the future. Not anytime soon, not anytime soon, (laughs) but I'll let you know when the next Q&A is going to go down. I love having this opportunity. And guess what? There's also some talks about possibly doing a live podcast taping. If you would be down for a live podcast taping in a city near you, like coming to join me, hopefully getting a guest in your area and just having some fun Make sure you tweet me at SeekWisdomPCW. I need to know because I'm really, and that's kind of the next thing I'm brewing up and I'm thinking about. And so it'd be great to see what you think about that. So SeekWisdomPCW is how you find me on Instagram, on Twitter. Let me know if you would be interested in a live podcast taping. I think it would be fun and I can't wait to meet more of you. I've been meeting so many of you as I travel the country for the Paul Mitchell tour. And just so you know, there's some cities coming up. I think Cleveland, Columbus, Atlanta, uh, Alpharetta. And I'm leaving some out, but stay connected on social media so you know when I'm coming to your area. All right. Until next time, I want you to go live your life's purpose, find fulfillment and earn more without ever chasing money. Talk to you later.